Thank you, Howard. All right, good morning, everyone. Hi, my name's Patrick. I was weirdly part of the announcements a lot because I am running the LA Marathon in two weeks. And yes, you can come cheer for me. I'm gonna get more of this cord loose so I can walk around a little bit. Um, by the way, <laughs> give me a second while I figure out how to anchor some things on this stand. Uh, by the way, when people run the marathon, it's really hard and cheering is super helpful. And it's especially great if you see people who write their name on their jersey so you can cheer for them by name. That's really fun. So the, the last marathon I ran was in New York City and I had my name on it. New York City has really good crowd support. I felt like a celebrity running through Brooklyn especially. Brooklyn, Howard and Cindy used to live there. Their church would go out of the doors and cheer for people while running the marathon. So um, I'm not saying it selfishly. You can bless any runner that you see by cheering for them in uh, two weeks on March 20th. And um, this is really fun because there's a lot of wind and um, I have to hold like, oh, we have a rock, a clamp. My, thank you, Tara. Tara's saving the day. Now I just need to get these sheets in order. So yeah, it's really cold today, huh? I am wondering if I even should have a jacket on while I'm standing up here, but I'll go without. I think the sun will keep me warm. Comedy, everyone. Physical comedy. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yes, welcome. I think I have myself situated. Woo! All right, all right, yeah, so I, my name is Patrick. If you don't know me, I'm one of the leaders. I'm on the board here at Pack City. Kate and I lead a community group together. It's on Wednesday nights. And I'm very excited to talk because it's been a while. I haven't given a sermon with Pack City since before the pandemic. Well, I did two YouTube sermons. We're just, we can forget that year. It was just something else, right? Um, but anyway, so since the start of this new year, we've been doing this series called Power in Presence. We've been learning about how God is not only present with us, but is active. He's on the move in our lives. And even more than that, he invites us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom to earth. So we've talked a lot about how the Holy Spirit can work through us and do a lot of things in many different ways. Um, just in simple ways, like bringing encouragement to somebody in a way that maybe only God knew that they needed in miraculous ways like healing injuries and sickness. We've practiced praying together doing that. I have kind of like little clinics of prayer just right here in the front after the sermon. All kinds of other ways that God wants to partner with us to just break into the status quo and interrupt it and make things better. That's what he's about is the restoration of all things broken in the world. Now, because this is countercultural, we've also discussed some of the challenges with it. One thing I love that Pack City, um, as a part of the Vineyard Movement, we have this catchphrase called being naturally supernatural. And by that, I mean when we partner with God, it's never about putting on a show. It should never be hyped up. It's not about manipulating it for our ego and success. Like, we're not doing this out on the corner to make a big show of ourselves. It's all about... We see this in the scripture as the first followers of Jesus kind of lived this way. They just followed the Holy Spirit's leading and blessed those around them. And it, we pray that it would become as naturally to us as it did to them. 
And that leads us to another topic about the challenge of this, which we've discussed a couple times, which is worldview. Like we recognize and understand that like God's works of power as miraculous as they are, are going to be questioned by the world around us. They go against the rational and empirical understanding that our culture holds about the universe. So the world around us might question, might ridicule this, and we even as believers might doubt it. You know, we might give up hope because sometimes it doesn't work when we pray for healing. Sometimes things don't pan out the way we were hoping they would. As Chris has put it, Pastor Chris, there is another team on the field, a spiritual battle going on. God is always at work to make whole all that is broken in the world, but his enemies are working against that. And so we are kind of on God's team in the midst of that battle. So that leads us to what I want to focus on today, which is knowing that there is a lot working against our comfort, maybe our willingness, maybe our bravery to do these otherworldly things of God. How do we maintain the persistence? How do we maintain and build the faith that it takes to partner with him in that? And so today's talk, as Howard read from the scripture, is about Jesus being our good shepherd. So it's maybe a bit more of the, a focus on the presence half of the series title, that it has everything to do with being formed by God, being ready to partner with him in his works of power by letting him like, form us to be like him, to be his follower, to be his sheep. Building a quiet foundation on how God sees and cares for you will best prepare us to follow his lead out in the world. The timing works out nicely, too, because we are now in the traditional church season of Lent. Did anyone grow up celebrating Lent? Okay, all front row, mostly, and then somebody in the middle. Okay, <laughs> All the real churchy people sitting in the front, they know what Lent's about. So this is historically a period in the church calendar, the yearly calendar, that focuses on the end of Jesus's ministry in anticipation of Good Friday and Easter, his death and his resurrection. In fact, in our community group the other night, Kate pointed out that this is a season traditionally that involves a lot of contemplation. Now, without that contemplation, without that focus, Easter can come and go just like any other Sunday, except suddenly the church is really crowded and everyone's wearing really bright colors for some reason. But if you set aside time to consider why Jesus needed to be crucified and how infinitely profound it is that God raised him back to life, this can be a season of real renewing of our faith. I really thought this through with the papers. <laughs> so all the hope and the miracles that we've been discussing in this series, the healings and the words of knowledge, these are really rooted in everything that happened on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The kingdom of God came to earth in a new way through the resurrected Jesus. He conquered death and sin. And this has been on the move ever since through the church by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to participate in that, how can we strengthen our will to do so? Despite the pushback and despite our own doubts, we need to pursue God in intimate relationship. We should not just know about the character of God who loves the world so much he gave his son for us, but actually know him personally. And if we can experience our lives and circumstances alongside God and his deep and personal love for us, I believe we'll be more ready to participate in what he's doing in and around us will be more sensitive to the Spirit's leading if that's how he's formed us to be. 
So would you just join me in praying again for this morning? Lord, I thank you that you're our good shepherd, that you lead us, probably in a lot of ways we don't even know and don't even recognize on a daily basis. But I pray that you'd also draw us closer to you, that we could get to know your leading, your voice, your care, that we would follow better and know your love and that that would pervade everything about how we live. So draw us into that and bring a message of your love however we each need to hear it this morning. Your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So again, the scripture today, uh, Howard read a snippet of it, some highlights, but Chris felt like the entire 18 verses was too long for that. So it's all in the little insert you have in your bulletin if you really want to dig in there. But in the passage that Howard read, uh, John 10, 1 through 18 is the whole thing. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were the religious authorities and experts in their day. This is like first century Israel, Palestine area. And Jesus, as he so often did, spoke in imagery and metaphor. And he did this on more than one occasion about shepherds and sheep. And actually there's a lot of really cool meaning in that. For example, teaching a story about shepherds and sheep showed that the good news Jesus had to share was for everyone. Yay, the kingdom of God was for all, regardless of their status. So in other times, like Jesus is really more kind of concrete and direct about this, saying things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But here Jesus talking to the Pharisees, talking to these elites in terms of their knowledge and their religious observance. You know, by comparison, a first century shepherd was just kind of like an everyday blue collar worker. You know, like he probably didn't have time to study the Torah. He probably wasn't able to participate in most of the religious ceremonies. Yet by placing a shepherd and sheep in the center of stories about God's work, Jesus revealed that the father didn't necessarily prioritize those that the establishment did. Often it was the opposite. Like even in the story of Christmas, shepherds were some of the first people to see like the birth of Jesus announced by the angels in the sky. The timing of the discussion that Jesus is having with these Pharisees is kind of key too. It follows an event in Jesus's ministry when he heals a blind man and gives him sight. But because he did it on the Sabbath, the Pharisees threw a fit and had a big long debate about whether it could possibly be a good thing. Like, is it, could it be good that this man who was blind can now see? But see, these authorities couldn't see the goodness of God right in front of them because they were blinded by their own, their own sense of superiority, their understanding of the rules and how things need to be done and what should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. They were blinded by how their knowledge of God's rules and their obedience of it gave them significance. And this person who flaunted that couldn't possibly be on their side, on their team. Now, I want to say that knowing God's law and being obedient to it is not a bad thing, but the good thing of that perhaps blinded them from the better thing of seeing God actually perform a miraculous work and give somebody sight. So Jesus is telling them about this story about the shepherd and the sheep to show them how there is so much more than just knowledge and obedience in how we relate to God. So I really love this story um, because I'm reminded of one of my oldest friends back from when I was like a very baby Christian. 
And she, we were having a discussion and she was kind of teaching about her experience on this because this friend grew up in rural Indiana and actually worked with sheep on a farm. Has anyone here had firsthand experience with sheep? Okay. So if I'm wrong, you can yell at me later. But what I remember the most about what my friend Rachel was saying is that sheep are really dumb. Is that, okay, I'm, I'm getting some nods. Yeah, they're like incredibly dumb creatures. They are some of the dumbest creatures that humans interact with in agriculture, livestock, whatever. And so it's especially hilarious that Jesus is sharing this with these like very intellect proud Pharisees. And sheep are so dumb that it makes sense they only thrive within really good boundaries being watched over and cared for. As it says in the passage, you know, they get to know their shepherd's voice over time and really learn that it's the only safe voice. And any other voice makes them skittish and run away and freak out. That voice, their shepherd's voice, the one they know by heart, is the routine. It's the safety. It's the only thing they trust. They need to be wrangled. They need to be led to grazing and back to the pen. They need to be kept away from harm. You know, there's another well-known scripture in the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus talks about. It's the one about the one of a hundred sheep that wanders off and gets lost. Now think of that in a literal sense, like you have one dumb sheep, maybe kind of follows some nice grass around the crag of a mountainside, and then because it's on the other side of this hill, can't hear the shepherd's voice, maybe can't hear the bell or whatever, it's out of earshot. You know, this dumb sheep doesn't know how it got there. It just followed the yummy grass or the yummy food or whatever it was eating on the ground. And object permanence is not really a thing for sheep. So it can't like turn around and remember how it got there. It would be lost forever unless the shepherd goes and finds it. Okay, so now before you get insulted, I just want to say that there is actually a lot for us in this. Just like the lost sheep, we need God's rescue. But that isn't to say that we're dumb. It's just that compared to God, we kind of are. Can we accept that? Like maybe compared to God, we're maybe not the smartest. This is a story that's conveying the dynamic between God and people. He's not saying that people are as dumb as sheep. Um, if I can go on a small tangent, there, this reminds me of uh, my favorite work of art from the 20th century. Is anyone here a Philip Glass fan? Anyway, like, okay, all right. So yeah, he's a minimalist composer who did this opera with the director Robert Wilson called Einstein on the Beach. And this opera is four and a half hours long and has no plot. And all the lyrics are either numbers or syllables like do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. And most people would hate it. But I love it because it's this abstract exploration of what it means to be in the mind, the, the weight of having the genius of Einstein, Albert Einstein, who understood the building blocks of the universe like nobody else in the world but also the angst, the anxiety of having that knowledge then lead to the creation of some of the most destructive weapons possible. How, do you, how, how does one man hold all of that in his head? But the, like, you couldn't write us like lyrics that convey that. Nobody understands physics the way Albert Einstein did. So what Philip Glass did is he wrote this music that's literally just numbers like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six. 
He wrote the building blocks of music so that we as the audience could let that like swim around in our heads like the way the building blocks of the universe were swimming around in Einstein's head. And it gets faster in other parts, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. It's really cool. I'll talk to you a lot about it another time. But it's the same kind of metaphor. Like he, they had to dumb it down so we could get inside Einstein's head or at least the feeling of that because we'll never get, like maybe some of you are physicists, I don't know. Uh, you know. We have a lot of incredibly smart people here, but I don't know if any of you are like Albert Einstein smart to understand how the universe works. So it's the same thing, like this is just that comparison. It's dumbing it down so we can understand the dynamic, the difference. And what this speaks to, what Jesus is speaking to is that relationship of our dependence on God. As the sheep were entirely dependent on their shepherd for their well-being, so our ultimate well-being is dependent on God. To truly live life to the full, as it says the shepherd wants for us in verse 10, we must know and trust in our good shepherd and his love and his care for us. He has the best for us. So how does God care for us as we see the shepherd care for his sheep in this story? There's a few blanks if you want to fill in on your sheet there. I think first and foremost, God speaks to our identity. In verse three, it says, he calls his own sheep by name. And Jesus explains the trusting relationship in which the sheep only recognize and follow their shepherd's voice. And he goes further to say that the shepherd knows them each individually. God knows and cares for each of us with as much attention and personal concern. And this relationship is you can see this all throughout scripture in many different ways. One of my favorites is Psalm 139. The writer of that Psalm beautifully and poetically ponders how God can count the hairs on his head. He knows his schedule when he rises, when he goes to sleep, how God formed him in his mother's womb when he was born, how he knows the number of days before, the number of his days before they come to pass. That has always spoke so much to me as somebody who, used to live with a lot of insecurity, but knowing that God cares for me and knows me that perfectly well was a very healing thing for me. So I used to be a very insecure person as if you've known me maybe in our community group and in other places, like it's basically like, hi, I'm Patrick and I'm a recovering people pleaser because I used to just live in ways that other people and what I thought they expected of me gave me social comfort. Then as I got to know God better, I realized that like, I don't need other people to affirm me. God, my creator, affirms me. That there's been so healing to know that he knows me so much. And there's a term from psychology that we use called self-differentiation that is exactly what I needed from God. A lot of us in this church community have been through a, a ministry program called Emotionally Focused, in which we learn about that, about like how God's plan for our just creation, our whole selves, is it, like, it sets inherent value in us that cannot be taken away. And that's given me so much freedom to be myself around other people, to not compartmentalize my life, trying to please this person and hide the God part of myself from them. And this is so key in partnering with the Holy Spirit. Because if I want to be bold, as we've talked about in the Power and Present series, to pray for healing for someone or share a word of knowledge, if they reject it, or it seems awkward and they make it known that it's awkward that I'm doing that, I don't need to be ashamed. 
It doesn't change my value that I'm rooted in God, that that is rooted in God. I can be confident that if I'm following the Spirit's lead, even if it is awkward, what I'm sharing may actually really bless someone, maybe even in a huge way. By growing to know God's love for me, I can become more confident that I have something to give other people. I no longer need to hide parts of myself. Now, of course, that will not always be met with open arms. Thankfully, another thing that God shows in this passage is that God provides security. He provides our security. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's got our backs. We will be rejected and possibly worse than that as we join what God's doing around us, doing through our lives. You know, when we talk about the other team on the field, the spiritual battle that's going on, working against God's works, uh, we may experience that through people, pushback like that, or other means of spiritual attack it coming in any which way. But we can trust that God is ultimately protecting us. Maybe not in every single moment, but like for the long haul, God is on our side and is watching out for us. And living in that tension reminds me actually of a lot of other Psalms. You know, King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, has this amazing way of like totally freaking out about everything terrible happening to him, but trusting God anyway. So here's a short one. It's Psalm 13. It's a great example of this. So just listen to the kind of the turn of attitude in these six verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle in my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So King David gets like really raw and honest about the fear and the dread that consumes him. And there's external attack from his enemies and internal attack from his own thoughts. But nearly in the same breath, he, breath, he states that God is unfailing. He brings salvation and he's been good to him. And the human weakness of all that angst and that fear just makes the statements of faith all the more inspiring. God's security and protection may not always come in our timing or in the method of our choice, but we have our ultimate security in him. And from that place of security, knowing our inherent value and that we're protected by him, we can venture out to follow his lead. And God leads us to our purpose. In addition to speaking to our identities and giving us assurance and security, we see in John 10 that God leads us like a good shepherd out to do what we're supposed to do in life. Thankfully, our intelligence is greater than sheep and so is our purpose. Uh, you know, sheep, what do they got to do? Like the shepherd's goals and hopes for his flock are basically like they should eat, stay healthy so the wool grows in nicely and they can make good clothes out of it. The sheep shouldn't get lost, and occasionally they should be delicious. I mean, right, that's part of why we raise sheep. But 
like the sheep, we are to, we're to go where our shepherd leads us. That's ultimately our purpose, is following the lead of our good shepherd. Now, we as people have some very simple aims, much like the sheep that Jesus gives us. Uh, you know, we're told by the greatest commandment to love God with all of ourselves, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're supposed to be good stewards of what's given to us, our bodies, our money, our time. And then Jesus also teaches us in his word that if we're faithful with little things, we can be trusted to be faithful with really great things too. So if we posture ourselves toward God as a good shepherd, as the sheep do to their shepherd, in a relationship of dependence on his much greater knowledge and wisdom, he'll lead us to some really amazing opportunities. Now, for a very few people, like Chris, that might mean a lifetime of professional ministry. But that's not for most of us. Like, we can't all be pastors. That's not what it means to follow God's leading. For most of us, God has incredible kingdom purpose in whatever and wherever and however we happen to be living our lives. And this is what we'd be talking about in this whole series. If, if we draw near to God and listen to him and look for how he's at work and pay attention to the Holy Spirit, he may call us in any moment to be a blessing in a miraculous way to our families, to our roommates, to our friends, to our coworkers, and yes, to our actual neighbors. You know, we discussed a few weeks ago, sometimes God gives us significant and strong spiritual gifts, unique ways that God regularly uses you to bless people. But then sometimes he doesn't. And it really doesn't matter because if we're open to his leading, he'll continue to surprise us about how he might use us in any given moment. What I love about this, this kind of general idea of purpose, of following him, following his lead and partnering with him, is that, that that's been God's hope for humanity since the beginning. Like in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, he says that you know, God gave humans partnership in caring for the world, in filling it with his image, in the way we reflect him in his goodness. So whatever that might mean for you in detail, this is the adventure of life with God, of following our good shepherd. So, how can we let him shepherd us? Are we ready to recognize our need for dependence on him? Is that an easy posture, an easy place of relationship to get into? How can we grow comfortable in letting him lead us? If we want to face the world and be so, be so brave as to join God in making it better, we need to trust in the depths of our soul that he loves us that he created us to be who we each are individually and unique, and that he's got our backs, he's providing our security. All, all of his shepherding, all of this care to rescue and protect and partner with us <clears throat> so that the world would know him more, it's really because of his love, not only for us, but for the whole world. The famous verse, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love is the ultimate agenda. The agenda isn't just that we would go out and do things. We do things because God loves us and loves those around us and wants us and them to know that more. In one kind of meditative way to 
let this sink in is you can take that verse, John 3.16, and make it your own. For God so loved Patrick that he gave his one and only son that I would have eternal life with him. And you can do it. For God so loved Kate. For God so loved Lupita or Lulu. Put your name in that verse. Let that sink in. Nothing else will keep us as open to participating in God's work as consistently over the years of our lives as truly knowing his love, his personal care, his protection, and his joy in sharing life with us. Now that's kind of a lifelong goal. We'll never probably really know the extent of God's love for us, but if we stay in relationship with him, keep pursuing that, we'll know it more and more as we go. Now here's kind of the escape hatch of everything I'm talking about. I'm kind of pumping you up to know God's love so that we can do all the things we've talked about in the Power and Present series. But the thing about his love is that it's unconditional. Like if you never do a single thing for him, he's still gonna love you. He will always love you. But it's also true that the more we partner with him and follow his leading, we'll get to know him more. We'll get to, get to experience that love firsthand and, and the more intimate place of that partnership, of sharing in his work. But his love, it just is. So a lot of times when we talk about, you know, doing these things, praying for people, sharing words of knowledge, taking a risk in following the Holy Spirit, it involves, you know, risk. It involves being scary. Like, will this prayer work? Will this thing pan out? But there's also kind of the inward risk of if I sit in silence and solitude, will God speak to me? What will happen if God speaks to me? What will happen if I really know God's love better than the day before? What will happen if God, if I let God be a primary influence on my life? What will happen if I actually know I'm that loved? Will I be able to stop myself from sharing that with people? I think the, you know, the church over centuries has talked about evangelism, but the best place for evangelism is just coming out of that overwhelming excitement of knowing God's love. It's not about programs and not about methods. If you really have God's love at the core of your being, how can you help but share it with other people? A friend of mine always used to say that the best example in my life, Patrick's life, about evangelism was I was obsessed with this one restaurant called the Gardens of Tosco so much, I just couldn't stop talking about it. I, the landlord raised the rent and they went to a takeout only place. It's so sad. You'll never experience it. But this restaurant was so good, I just told literally everyone in my life about it. And that makes me question like, do I know God's love enough to really just share it with everyone in whatever way that may be, whether it's in conversation or in a moment of miraculous power? What could you do in partnership with God if you really knew him that well? If you knew his love for you that well? Could you overcome the awkwardness of maybe interrupting someone's day to offer prayer? Could you pray for somebody's broken knee a 20th time when the first 19 times did not work? Could you make the call to someone 
that you need to forgive, or maybe the call to someone that you need to ask for forgiveness. Now, practically speaking, how can we continue to grow in this relationship with God, letting the truth of his love sink in for us? I've got no trick and no secret there. It's a relationship, and as with any relationship, it takes time of relating to God. There's a phrase people spit out, quantity time is quality time. You just gotta choose to do it. You've gotta just choose to spend time with God however you relate to him. There are many ways to do that, of course, but we know we can get to know God better through his word in the Bible, through prayer, and especially through community. Now, all of these can be a challenge in their own way, depending on whether you know God really well or like you're very new or even just curious. Like the Bible, for example, is an ancient and intimidating book. It's not something you can just flip open and suddenly, oh, I get this. But it can be opened up amazingly in study with other people. Now, prayer, that can be really vulnerable and awkward. But in scripture, Jesus gives us some pretty simple instructions for how to do it. And then in community with, with others, we can learn from people who've been praying longer. Just kind of ask some questions about it. Community, of course, has its own challenges, uh, many of which are detailed in scripture and how to work through them biblically and healthily. You know, God cares deeply about our care for each other. We're all a family, which scripture is very clear about. And where that is challenging and hard because maybe our real families have been challenged or we've been hurt by other people in the past at church or not at church, he wants to bring reconciliation and healing to those places too. And he'll answer your prayers about it. So my challenge for you very simply this week is to just add something into your routine Maybe as our motivational speaker, Matt, has shared, like, add something with God after 20 push-ups. <laughs> um, whatever you do, wherever you can tack it on to a, maybe a routine that already exists, just add something else where I'm going to, like, even if I know God super well in my life or, like, not at all, I'm going to do something. Five minutes of prayer, one scripture verse. I'm going to look and seek and ask to know God's love a little better every day this week. So I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back up now. And um, we're gonna do some of this together and seek God and ask for some of his love. So in many of the weeks of this whole sermon series, like I said earlier, we've been kind of practicing doing the stuff, praying for each other. Today, I just want us to have a moment of receiving whatever expression of God's love he wants to share with us. So I'd like to invite all of you to stand. And you may stay where you are, but there are a couple things I would invite you to do to, that can kind of posture yourself in a place of receiving from God. These are not magic tricks. They're not, there's no secret to it. You might open your hands in a posture of receiving. Sometimes the outward expression kind of reveals where you are inside and prepares you for that. So you might open your hands like this, or if you so choose, you may walk forward to this open space in the front of the seats. And I'm gonna also invite, as we begin this time, 
anyone who's trained to pray on our prayer team to come up. Maybe you just don't want to like do this alone and you feel like, Ugh, I need to have somebody pray for me that maybe they would listen to God on my behalf because I'm all clogged up in my head or whatever. Sometimes I feel that way. Whether you're staying in your seats, you're coming forward, opening your hands or not, I just felt like God may want to speak into some of the areas that we've discussed in this scripture, which is our identities, our securities, and our purpose. And this is a totally out there reference, but I just think of like once in a lifetime, the talking head song is like, who am I? What am I doing here? How did I end up in this place? I'm paraphrasing the lyrics, but I relate to that sometimes so much. And if you're in that place of like, who am I? What am I doing here? This past couple of years and very recent events in the world have been so disorienting. Let's recognize that and recognize that even in this very disorienting place, wherever we are, God has something for us. And for you specifically, God so loved you that he gave his only son. So let's uh, open this time and I'm gonna invite the Holy Spirit. Maybe we'll just be quiet for a few seconds and then we're gonna continue in one last um, song of worship. So Lord God, we invite you to come. You are our good shepherd and we can say that and understand it. But I pray, Lord God, that you would send your Holy Spirit now that we would know it that it would sink into our hearts. That Lord God, if you have specific messages of the identity of anyone who needs to know that, speak that. If you need to provide a message of security to someone today, of protection and care, speak that Lord God. And if you're ready to lead us to know more of our purpose, Show us the way, good shepherd. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Share your love in this moment.